Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. what story do you want to tell? You ever thought about that question? What story do you want to tell in your family? What story do you want to tell in your relationships, in your marriage, in your dating life? What story do you want to tell in your parenting, in your home, in your work life? What story do you want to tell? That's the question I want us to wrestle through today. And if this is your first time, hey, welcome to Active Church. My name is Mike. I serve as the lead pastor. And we're talking over the last few weeks about how to make this time different than last time. And in order to do that, we got to talk about our decisions because your decisions and my decisions determine the direction and quality of our lives. And we want to tell better stories. And I know, I know that you are longing to make this time different than last time. We don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. You know, every decision that we make becomes a permanent part of our story. Every decision, day by day decisions, become a permanent part of your story and mine. That's why that question, what story do I want to tell, is a really, really important question to make this time different than last time. Because when we look at our past, maybe you have parts of your story that you regret, that you wish you could change. Like that moment where you got fired because you weren't giving your best. Or maybe that moment where you had a ton of debt because you weren't handling your resources well. Or perhaps that moment where you were unfaithful and you lost them and you lost the relationship. I think all of us want to tell a story about how we found purpose. All of us want to tell a story about how we were generous. All of us want to tell a story about how we were faithful. And that's why this question, what story do I want to tell, will help us in our decision-making process. Because here's what I know about me, and I'm assuming it's true about you. We all want to tell our entire story. We don't want to skip over bad parts, right? We want to tell our story to everyone and we want it to be a better story. And something we've talked about in this series that I really think is so important for us is that when we make decisions, those decisions actually are not made in emotionally neutral environments. Our emotions are stirred up often, especially in those key life decisions that we know will make an impact in our story and in the story of those around us. You know, I get stirred up. My emotions get stirred up when I have a deadline or when I'm under pressure. Maybe you feel the same way. And you know what I do? In those moments, I will always choose the immediate over the ultimate. In those moments, I will always choose what I want now over what I want most. Maybe you're the same. There's a word for that, actually. It's called focalism. Focalism is described this way, being locked into options rather than the story. Or choices over chapters. We're going to make this choice because we have to make this decision right now in this moment because we're under pressure. And we don't think about the chapter it's going to write or the impact that it will have in our stories. I had the greatest grandpa in the world. We can argue about that later, but I think mine was the greatest. We called him Gus. 
It was my dad's dad. He always gave the best advice. He would always drop knowledge on you. I remember when he was getting close to leaving this earth and going to heaven. Those last few years were precious for my wife and I and our oldest, Abby. She was little at the time and we would take Grandpa Harry, Grandpa Gus, we would take him out to eat. He would always want to go to like Red Lobster or Coco's. Those were his two favorite places. And I remember every time we would hang out with him, driving to the restaurant, eating at the restaurant, and then driving home, he would always have these nuggets of knowledge that he would drop upon us. And I remember one time we were talking about decision-making. We were talking about the emotions that are behind decision-making. And he said something to me that has stuck with me for years. He said, Michael, strong emotional appeal is a red flag and not a green light to move forward. And I've always hung on to that. And it's so important for me because I can react when there's a deadline. I can react when I'm under pressure. And when I do that, it doesn't help me tell a better story and it won't help you tell a better story either. That's why I love this question. What story do I wanna tell? It gets us out of the past it allows us to be present in the present and build a better future. And by the way, you and I aren't the only ones that have ever struggled with this tension in our life of telling a better story. What story do we want to tell so that this time is different than last time? The men and women who pursued God long before we ever started, long before we were ever here, wrestled with this tension as well. And there's this really incredible story in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament in the Bible, about a young Jewish boy named Joseph. It's a true story. But in his story, he actually wrestles with this question, what story do I wanna tell? And it wasn't just a moment decision, it was a moment by moment, day by day decision. His life was messy. You might be able to relate, I know that I can. His life was messy. And a lot of the mess wasn't caused by him, it was caused upon him, but yet, he decided that there was a story he wanted to tell and he wouldn't negotiate it. He wouldn't bargain with it. And I wanna take you to his story because I think that there's some helpful tips and tools and principles that we can learn. I wanna show you a couple of moments where he made a really good decision asking the question, what story do I wanna tell? And then at the end of our time together, I have an ask for you, a personal ask, okay? So the story that we're gonna actually walk through today is found in the document of Genesis in the Bible, Genesis chapter 39. So if you have a Bible or if you have the Bible app with you, would you turn there? If you're watching this, you'll be able to see the verses on the screen. And as you turn there, can I give you some context? We're going to get dropped into this story around 1850 BC. And Joseph is in a really tough spot. He's in a tough spot because his dad, Jacob, is the father of 12 sons. And Joseph was his favorite child. Now, if you are the favorite child, you probably know that, right? If you're not the favorite child, it means that you're not the favorite child. If you're not aware of your folks favoring you, then it probably means that you're not the favorite. Just hate to drop that knowledge on you today, all right? But Joseph was the favorite child, and he was the favorite child for a really interesting reason. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was born of Jacob's favorite wife. It's messy. It's convoluted. I actually dropped that joke on my wife the other day, my wife Tiffany. I said to her, honey, out of all my wives, you're my favorite. And I thought it was funny. She's not speaking to me, but we'll be okay. All right. 
But Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was born of Jacob's favorite wife. And all the brothers knew this and they were incredibly jealous of Joseph. So much so that one day as he was coming out to the field to visit them, they were working in the field and Joseph wasn't because he was the favorite. When he was walking out, they decided that they wanted to get rid of their brother. Like get rid of, like kill their brother. They're so angry, they're so jealous, they're so upset. But then one of the brothers speaks up and says, we can't kill him, that would be wrong. And so what they decide to do is sell him into the slave trade. There was Egyptian caravans that would come by every once in a while on their property and they would buy and sell from them. And so they decided we're gonna capture Joseph and we're going to sell him to the Egyptian caravan, the slave trade. So Joseph comes out, they have a conversation and then the brothers attack him and they throw him into a pit and they take this jacket that their father Jacob gave Joseph and they cover it in animal's blood and then they take it back to their father and they tell their dad, dad, an animal has attacked Joseph and he's, and he's dead. And it devastates Jacob, devastates him. He goes into deep depression. He's struggling with incredible grief. And you would think that this moment may have stirred the hearts of the brothers to change their mind, to tell a different story, but they don't. And this one decision, by the way, causes them to be liars for life. They were going to have to lie to their dad for the rest of their life. Whenever Joseph's name came up, they were going to have to affirm that he was killed by an animal. Whenever Joseph's name came up, they would have to talk about how they had to tell their dad about it. Whenever their dad was wrestling with the loss of Joseph or the grief or the pain, they would have to remind him of what happened. They were going to be liars for life. And this story that they were telling, this lie that they created, it would impact not just them, but generations after them. It'll, it'll impact you. It's impacting you right now, right? Because here we are 4,000 years later, halfway across the planet, and we're talking about them and their decision, right? So Joseph gets thrown into this pit and then the caravan comes by and the brothers decide to put Joseph on the auction block. They decide to sell him to this caravan and they trade some pieces of gold, maybe some animals, and then this Egyptian caravan takes him back to Egypt. And you would think that this would be devastating for Joseph and perhaps it was, but something happens in Egypt that is actually pretty remarkable. Joseph gets put on another auction block and he's purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's a master, a leader in the nation of Egypt, and he purchases Joseph to work in his home. And the writer of Genesis tells us that Joseph actually earns the trust of Potiphar. So much so that that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 39, starting in verse six, we're told that Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care. That with Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. So Potiphar allowed Joseph to do everything, pay the bills, clean the house, take care of the kids, whatever it was, work in the yard, do the business. All Potiphar cared about was actually what he was going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like that's, that's the good life, right? That's what I want. And Joseph earns the trust of this man. And what I find fascinating is that Joseph didn't allow what his brothers had done to him to influence the story he was telling. Like, he, he was kidnapped, he was trafficked, he was sold into slavery, he's a victim, and yet Joseph doesn't play the victim card. 
I have to believe that in this moment he was asking himself, and what story do I want to tell? And for a while, the story at Potiphar's house was actually really great. And then there was a tension, another tension, another mess that came upon him. Because isn't it true in life that once you get through one battle and you find yourself in the blessing, the next battle is coming, right? And so Joseph, we're told, is in the home of Potiphar. And the writer tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, she took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Joseph was about 19 years old when we pick up this story. And he's far, far from home. And here's the thing. Nobody would have known if Joseph agreed to actually do what Potiphar's wife wanted him to do. Nobody would have known, not even Potiphar, because Joseph, remember, was in charge of everything. And his family is thousands of miles away. And so why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He's on vacation. An endless vacation. And so he can do whatever he wants. Nobody's going to know. But Joseph knew that he would know and knew that someone else would know. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he's asking that question in this moment. Emotions are probably stirred up, by the way. He's asking that question, what story do I want to tell? And the writer tells us that he refused. And then Joseph does something that I think we all should do in moments when we're curious about the story we're telling, when we're making decisions, especially if there's a deadline or we're under pressure. Joseph actually rehearses or speaks his story out loud so that he can hear his words around him and that Potiphar's wife can hear his words. Joseph builds a cathedral of words that help shape the story, the narrative that he's a part of, that reminds him, he gets these, these thoughts out of his head and he's reminded in that moment, here's the story I wanna tell. And so he, out loud, out loud in front of Potiphar's wife, he says these words. You know, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house, everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me, Mrs. Potiphar, except for you, because you are his wife. Joseph is talking about everything that he's been given. And he actually lays a question before Potiphar's wife. He says, does, does this, what, is this the story you wanna tell? Is this the direction you wanna go? Uh, Mrs. Potiphar, do you wanna have an affair with a Jewish slave as a part of your story? And then he asks himself out loud the best and most powerful question because he knew that he would be aware of what he was doing, but he knew someone else and that someone else is God. He says these words, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? Like, why would I even do this? Why would I even consider this? Why would I even go in this direction? And all of us might say, well, you've been victimized. You've been kidnapped. You've been trafficked. And might as well do what maybe your emotions are telling you to do. Like nobody's going to know, right? At least those are the excuses we tell ourselves. Joseph's like, I can't, I can't do this. One, because I'm not going to take advantage of you. But two, I don't want to take advantage of what God has done in my life. Joseph is literally weighing two options here. I think the options would sound like this. Option number one, your husband, Mrs. Potiphar, 
gave me an opportunity that I never thought would come my way. And so I was faithful to him and I was faithful to God. That's the story that I could potentially tell right now. The second option is your husband gave me an opportunity I never thought would come my way. And so I took advantage of him and God. That's the potential option of my decision if I say yes to you. So I could take advantage of your husband and God, or I could honor your husband and I could honor God. And Joseph honors Potiphar and honors his God. By the way, this wasn't just a one-time request. Because as we've already mentioned, telling a better story is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision, right? We read that although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And don't miss this last line. Or even be with her. Because sometimes... Saying no so that you can say yes to something better also means that you can't even be around it. Not because it's evil or rotten or sinful or bad, but because you know what it might do to you. Joseph knew that Mrs. Potiphar was an attractive woman, that Mrs. Potiphar was going to keep inviting him, and that Mrs. Potiphar was going to be relentless. And Joseph knew that even being around her would be difficult. His emotions would be stirred up. Just like in those moments where you are around that thing or that person, and it was just a little flirting, but it's not going to threaten your marriage, right? It was just just one drink, but you're not going to go back to what you did before, right? It was just one look on that website or that social media page, but I'm not going to go back to that addiction, right? Joseph actually models for us, models for us what it looks like to ask the question, what story do I want to tell? Not just in his thoughts and in his words, but in his actions. And this was humiliating, humiliating for Potiphar's wife. So much so that she gets revenge on Joseph. By the way, nobody would have known about this, but she was humiliated because he knew. And so she accuses him of something terrible, sexual assault and and rape. And Potiphar, rightly so, because he believed his wife was irate, angry, and has Joseph tossed into prison. And he would think at this moment that Joseph would have given up, man. Hear him sold into slavery, I'm a victim, and now I'm falsely accused. But the writer tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And we might think, wait, wait. If he was with Joseph, he probably wouldn't have been accused. And if he was with Joseph, he probably wouldn't have been in prison. But yet, Joseph had this conviction inside of him that there's a better story to be told. He wanted this time to be different than last time. He didn't want to repeat any of the mistakes of the past. He wanted to move forward and build a better future. And so he always wrestled with that question. What story do I want to tell? Because of that, the Lord was with him. His story was not over despite the setback. And by the way, neither is yours. You have an opportunity right now today to move into the better story, to make this time different than last time, to not repeat the mistakes of the past. And it can start with this question, what story do I want to tell? We're told later on that Joseph earned favor in the eyes of the prison warden because he was wrestling through the story he wanted to tell. He ends up running the place. He ends up building relationship with those that are in prison. Two particular people he builds a really great relationship with. 
And they actually come to him one night after interesting dreams. One comes to him and shares a dream. The other comes to him and shares his dream. And they ask Joseph, hey, do you know anything about dreams? Do you know anything about God? We're, we're thinking maybe God's trying to speak to us. It's kind of an extraordinarily strange moment. And Joseph actually says, yeah, I can, I can talk with God and maybe give you some wisdom on this. And Joseph shares with the first man that his dream was God letting him know that he is going to be restored back to the Pharaoh, someone who's in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. The other guy, he says, this is just an announcement that your life's going to be taken from you soon by the Pharaoh because he's an unfair man. He does what he wants. And all of that happens. One guy gets restored. The other guy, his life gets taken from him. The one who's restored told Joseph, I want to remember you. I'm going to remember you because you told me this. And then two years pass. And Joseph might have been thinking, man, this is terrible. Like how, how much more pain and suffering can I go through? And maybe you've been there too. But Joseph wrestled with what story he wants to tell and didn't allow that to get into his soul. And eventually he hears a rumor about how the Pharaoh had a dream. And this guy who was friends with Joseph, two years later remembers Joseph, finally, right? Two years later, what a great friend. And tells Pharaoh, hey, this guy named Joseph could actually tell you what your dream's about. So they clean up Joseph, they shower him, they shave him, he looks good again, and they bring him before the Pharaoh, about 21 years old. And the Pharaoh shares his dream and says, can you interpret the dream? And Joseph's words are, I cannot do it. Which is why, like, time out. Like, if you and I jumped into the story, right? Wouldn't we say, um, hey, buddy, if you want to get out of prison, you need to say whatever you need to say to get out of prison, right? But Joseph had a story he wanted to tell. He was wrestling with that question. And he wasn't going to negotiate the story that God was writing. And so he says, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And he says, I will give you the answer that you desire. So he prays, asks God for wisdom, begins to share with the Pharaoh everything that his dream meant. And specifically, Pharaoh had a dream about how there was going to be plenty and then how there was going to be famine. And Joseph says that if you actually put somebody in charge to take care of this well, the nation of Egypt is going to be fine and actually care for all of the nations around Egypt. And so Pharaoh goes, um, Joseph, will you be the one that's put in charge? Because the Lord was with him. Because he didn't negotiate the story he was going to tell because he didn't allow his emotions and feelings to get the best of him. And so Joseph was put in charge of all of the food collection and the water collection for seven years of plenty. And then there was gonna be seven years of famine. So in those years of plenty, it was great. In those years of famine, it was difficult, but not for Egypt because of Joseph and what God had said to him. And Joseph was in charge of all of this and they cared for the nations around them. And by the way, you know what nation they cared for? Israel. And do you know who lived in Israel? Jacob, Joseph's father, and Joseph's brothers, who were struggling, didn't have food or water. And so one day, one day, they came to Egypt because they were going to meet with the person in charge of the food and water because they were struggling. And that person happened to be Joseph. And so the scene is remarkable. The brothers come in, they bow down to the one that's in charge, not knowing it's Joseph, and then Joseph recognizes them. Friends, this is probably 10 years later, so he's 29 years old. Voice is probably a little bit deeper 
got some hair on his chest, right? He probably looks more Egyptian than he does Jewish because he's been in Egypt for that amount of time. And now he's in charge. And Joseph, in this moment, is overcome with emotion, and yet he doesn't negotiate what story he wants to tell. And he reveals to his brothers who he is. And the writer tells us his brothers were terrified at his presence because they thought Joseph would do unto them what they had done unto him. And yet he doesn't. Joseph's nothing like them because that's not the story he wants to tell. He decides to rescue and save his family. We're told that he threw his arms around his brother and he kissed them and he wept over them. And it's all because he did not allow himself to negotiate the story he wanted to tell. He didn't allow the deadlines or the pressure of decisions, the emotions of the moment, the way that he had been treated to dictate what story he was going to tell. He wanted this time to be different than last time. He didn't want to be like his brothers. And so he decided, man, what story do I want to tell? His brothers, they were liars for years. But Joseph was different. He was faithful. He built trust. His story was about reconciliation and restoration. And Joseph decided throughout his entire life, and that was just a snapshot of his life. It's an incredible story that starts in Genesis 39. Read through it if you get a moment. It's an incredible story of Joseph making day-by-day, moment-by-moment decisions, writing his story one decision at a time. And that's what you're doing. Because every decision you make becomes a permanent part of your story. Every decision you make is a chapter in the story of you. So what story do you want to tell? I said to you that I had a ask of you at the end of our time together. It's not really profound at all. (laughs) It's not one that's going to go, oh, that's a really great ask. I'm going to do that. (laughs) But it is one that is personal. It's one that's a reflection of my love for you. So as your friend, and as potentially with the privilege of being your pastor, could I ask you this? Please, don't make a decision in your life that would make you a liar for life. Please don't make a decision in your life that would make you a manipulator for life. Please don't make a decision in your life that would make you a pretender for life. Because the story you'll be left with is one that you will not be proud to tell. And listen, I know I know things might be hard right now, but in the future, this will be a part of the story you tell. And I know things might be difficult right now, but in the future, this will be part of the story you tell. I know that you might be in pain right now, but in the future, this will be a part of the story you tell, and it will be a better story, and it will be different than last time when you answer this question. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell my spouse or future spouse? What story do I want to tell my parents? What story do I want to tell my kids? What story do I want to tell my grandkids, my boss, my friends, my pastor, my mentor, my leaders, 
my circle of influence? What story do I want to tell me? What story do you want to tell to you? It's a great question, isn't it? By the way, you don't have to make that decision on your own. It's why we do what we do at Active and you're a part of Active Church. And maybe you're struggling with what that story might look like and sound like. Well, don't struggle on your own. Surround yourself with people that want to invest in you and help walk with you in that story. It's why we do something called First Step around here. First Step is an opportunity to meet with our team, an opportunity to help define and shape the story you're telling and to take that first step. Our next first step is on campus here at Active Ukaipa on January 31st at 10.15. It's between our first and second services and we would love for you to come. We have a special treat for you. We'll wear masks. We would love for you to be here to take that first step of faith or to take that first step in telling a better story, to take that first step in making this time different than last time. So my friends, what story do I want to tell? is the question that I want to leave you with today. Can I pray with you? God, man, there is so much to consider as we think about this question, what story I want to tell. There's so much that would be rolling around in our hearts and in our minds. And yet, we know We know that you have created us to tell a better story. You've created us to step into a better world, to build a better future. And so God, we, in this moment, together, turn to you, look to you. Whether we're new to this or we've been doing this a long time, we want you to be a part of our story. We want you to be with us like you were with Joseph. And I pray that in those moments when we're making decisions, when we're trying to make this time different than last time, that we would pause We would reframe the moment and we would ask this, no matter what we're going through, whether we're under pressure or we're feeling the weight or there's a deadline, we would ask this question, what story do I want to tell? We would think about what we want most over what we want now. We would think about what is ultimate over immediate. Jesus, I pray that we would would tell better stories so that we could be the people you created us to be. Thank you, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys.
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.